welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are in our last week of our discipleship series, unless you want to extend it. We can go another six weeks, no? Everybody, you're, all your studying's done, your, your work booking, your reading, you've finished this process, and I hope it's been fruitful for those of you who have participated and those who have not. I'll, I'll go a brief review uh, as we walk through this. We've, uh, we've been at this for over a month, and we have banners on the wall to remind us of our calling. We, uh, we want to be disciples, and a disciple is, say it with me, a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving God and loving God others. Pray with me and pray for me. Lord, I thank you for this journey of discipleship that goes well beyond the six weeks that we study it and and reconsider it and think it or maybe be introduced to it. I thank you that we can follow confidently in the footsteps of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and I ask that you be with us now and continue to lead us. Bless what has been prepared. Speak through me in spite of me. May it be you who's heard. Bless us in our hearing, Lord. Let us hear you in spite of ourselves. And let us take all that is said and heard, let us embody it and become what it is you would have us be. And as we do these things, Lord, we pray that all of these things are pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So a disciple. So we started this six-week journey. We started that everything's founded on grace. As a United Methodist, what makes us not unique, we're not the only ones that believe in grace, but this is the unique expression in the way that we walk through discipleship. It's all God's grace. None of us are here of our own accord. Every step we take is a gift of God's grace the whole way of discipleship. And when we commit to the church in our baptism to be members, we commit to the mission of the church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. So prayers. We talked about how we center ourselves in the story of who God's people have been and where the story's going, and we remember regularly so that our life becomes a rhythm of that story. And we talked about presence, that being here together, worshiping together is important. It matters. It's a priority that we learn and profess and grow and praise. And then we participate in small groups to have more intimate learning and growing together and study. Gifts. We're all given everything we have. Everything we have is a gift. And so we, we grow into generosity as a way to submit ourselves to God and to live into this blessed life that is founded upon God rather than money or anything else. And then service. We talked about how we are servants because Christ was a servant to God and to us. Everything Jesus did was in an act of service, so no matter what we do, if we have a job, if we don't have a job, if we're in relationship, if we go to the store, if we do whatever we do, we do it as a servant, not a volunteer, but a servant. And so today we focus on what it means to be in witness. And so 
the witness is going to begin with a story. So I want to tell you a story. It's kind of a more entertaining for me. And then, then we'll walk through this passage in John. And then we're going to unpack that passage. I'm going to prepare you a little bit for it as I typically like to do. So I want to begin with a story. And this story involves me as a youth pastor. If you didn't know, I was a youth pastor for several years, full-time, and learned a lot about myself and about God and about ministry as a youth pastor. Amen, Lori? Amen. And I, if you, if you also know me, you know that I like to talk about the way we look at something and then look at it from different ways, right? We challenge ourselves, we explore, and we consider. Well, that was what I did with the youth, too. And uh, one thing that I did with the youth was I would take them on mission trips with groups that were not Methodist. And so we would do Methodist camps and Methodist activities, but then we'd go and serve with the Baptist or non-denominational, or we'd go and serve with the Catholics. And I wanted them to hear the story of faith from other perspectives so they could kind of understand there are different ways to look at this. And then every day we'd have plenty to talk about, about something they heard, something they saw, something they agreed with, didn't agree with, and it helped them kind of be in conversation with those. And so one particular group we went was in North Carolina, and we were on a, I was on a group that did, did roofs for people. We replaced roofs. I was in charge. Tells you how frightening of an experience that was. I was put in charge of roofing a house. And uh, on the way to and from our bus ride is about 20 minutes, we'd talk. So there'd be a few people from my youth group and then a whole lot of people that weren't. And they were trying to convert us. And it was fun. And one particular young man was talking to another particular young man in our group and was telling them the story on, on what they need to understand about faithful witness. And he said, he described the whole story as a metaphor. So you're standing on the road. He says, if you're standing in the middle of the road and a car is barreling down on you, you'd get out of the way, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. And then you'd pull your friend out of the way who's in the road too, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, that's how it is. Eternal damnation is upon us, and we must get out of the way. And I raised my hand. I said, I have a quick question. Who's driving the car? And he didn't really know what to do with that. Bless his soul, he was, he was given a metaphor, and it worked. It helped him understand the bit of the story, but to try to think it through, he was a little perplexed, and it led to really good conversation. I wasn't just trying to be cruel. So the Gospel of John is what we're going to read from today, and this is the most unique and peculiar of the four Gospels, in my opinion. In fact, if you're going to start with the Gospels, if you're new to the Bible, I would not encourage you to start with John, because it's got double meanings and cryptic symbols, and it's just kind of weird. It's kind of weird. It's beautiful, and I hope that everyone here has read through John, but I just wouldn't start there. I want to give some basics, because we use some churchy words, and you may not be familiar with all of these words. We use the word gospel, but sometimes we capitalize it, and sometimes it's lowercase, all right? The word itself, gospel, comes from a word, eangelion. Can you say eangelion? You speak Greek now, and it's where we get our word evangelical, evangelize, evangelism comes from eangelion. It simply means good news, good news, except in the first century, it meant a particular type of good news, and I'm not talking about the Christian faith. We commandeered it. Originally, it spoke to good news that came from Rome. Rome was, was the empire of the day. Caesar was in charge of all the land, including Israel and Jerusalem. There were Roman soldiers everywhere in our stories. And so if something happened in Rome that was monumental, impactful, maybe 
Caesar, a new Caesar was crowned because there were divisions in Rome and sometimes they killed each other and assumed the throne. Or there was a, a victory won somewhere on the war front because Rome was always at war. Well, this would happen, but the people on the other end of the kingdom may not know that that's happened. There was no Twitter. God bless them. There was no mass form of communication, telephones, none of that. So there would be heralds that would come to bring the good news of the latest monumental change or impact of Rome. And so think about it. A new emperor comes to power. It would take days, weeks, months before anyone would know about it. That emperor was in charge, but if you don't know about it, does that emperor have any rule over your life? Well, yes and no. So when the herald came to bring the good news, they bring a new reality to your awareness, a reality that already existed but not to you. And so the Evangelion possessed presence and power for you. Suddenly things were different upon hearing the good news. And so we use little g gospel. It means Evangelion, the good news or a new reality that's begun. And the uppercase g gospel refers to the four narratives Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So uppercase is the gospel about the gospel. Make sense? All right. Some disciples of John the Baptist in our gospel reading today, they are seeking after Jesus. And they want to know where he's staying, which is a symbolic question that we can unpack another time. Basically, they want to know what he's all about. They want to be where he is. They want to be a disciple. So Notice in this story, Andrew and Peter, they aren't in a boat. There's no miraculous catch. That's a different version of the gospel. In this gospel, there's just an invitation and communication, a, a beckoning to come and see. And so, these guys are looking for something, and Jesus invites them to come and see. So let's hear the passage. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed or Christ. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, 
Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So the first words that Jesus utters in the entire Gospel of John is, what are you looking for? Interesting first words. Interesting introduction to Jesus. What are you looking for? Followed by, come and see. An invitation. An invitation that requires action and openness. Notice Jesus didn't demand them. Jesus didn't lay down any guilt or threaten any car coming down the road. Jesus simply issued the invitation. And immediately, Andrew goes and the encounter is repeated when he tells Peter what's going on. He tells him, we found the Messiah. Peter says, okay, they come. Jesus then extends another kind of invitation, one we're more familiar with, follow me. Andrew has seen nothing of Jesus yet, right? No miracles happened. There's been no encounter. But yet something in Andrew has captured him enough to go and tell someone else, and that person come, Peter, and then there's this interaction, and and suddenly there's a group following Jesus. Now, the next day, Jesus finds Philip. So they weren't seeking him out. Jesus finds them, and sometimes that's the way it happens, who then goes and tells Nathanael, and Nathanael's not really sure about this Nazarene, but then comes to know him as the Messiah all all the less, or all the more. That's kind of our story somewhere in there, yes? Maybe someone has encountered Jesus through a miracle. You were just making your way through life, and suddenly someone appears and says, hey, follow me. Or maybe something was revealed about you through God in some miraculous way that you knew something's going on here, and that captured you. And for the rest of us, we were just walking along thinking we were maybe content in life, but not quite. And nothing miraculous happened. We were just thirsting, hungering for something more. Because we all have dreams when we're kids about what life's going to be, and then we grow up and start getting into that life, and then we're kind of like, is this it? This isn't what I thought it would be. Isn't there more meaning in life, purpose? Isn't there something that satisfies because the world has plenty to offer us to tell us we can be satisfied? Amen? Mammon? Wealth, status, power, but it's all cheap thrills. It never lasts. We get happy in the moment, right? Christmas morning brings lots of happiness to lots of people, and then it's kind of back to the norm for many. Is there more to life is the question that many of us had that I think the disciples had. But these disciples didn't just wonder. They actively sought Andrew and we believe John was the other disciple. They followed John the Baptist. They were disciples of him because they'd found something in John the Baptist. But John points at Jesus and says, there's God's lamb. And that was enough for them to go seek Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, come. Come and see. Come follow me. And not only that, but the fruit of your coming and seeing, it's going to blow your mind. You have no idea what's about to happen over these next few years and what's going to happen to the world over the next couple millennia. We're going to see the very presence of God in Jesus and in us, quite a story. So it's what we want. We want the meaning. We want God in us. We want to know that we have a connection to something bigger than what we see in the world, yes? That's why you're here. Eternal life refers to life with God and God's presence now and forevermore. We hunger for this, and I think everybody on the planet hungers 
for this, whether they know what they hunger for or not. Or maybe you're still looking a little bit. Maybe you're here and you know this eternal life language and you know the churchies, but you're still looking. That's okay. You come like a Nathanael. We're here, it's here, but we don't quite understand it. And oftentimes our faith in growing into what it all means takes time. Understanding what eternal life actually can mean for you and be for you takes time. As much as we try to convince ourselves we have it figured out, we're still growing, aren't we? We're invited to come and see that as we try to grab hold of faith, eventually what we learn is to stop trying to grab hold of it and instead let it grab hold of us. As United Methodists, we understand this process through the lens of the traditional belief began in John Wesley. So here's the short and doctrinally sound version. You ready? One, original sin. Original sin is all about we all sin. We're all humans. We're wrapped up in ourselves. We we serve ourselves. We're the image of God, but a distorted image of God. We fall short of living into love and grace and truth and peace and justice We're confused about what we really want, and we're not in right relationship with each other or God. Amen? Amen. We've got to start there, friends. But two, justification by faith. We profess faith in Jesus Christ, and we're justified through that faith, meaning we are in right relationship with God. Even though we're still messed up in a lot of ways, we now are oriented in the right path, And as we walk that path together, we're going to be in right relationship and learn to grow into that right relationship with God and one another, and we receive the Holy Spirit in this new way. Holy Spirit's always been active, but now we cooperate. And so then three, holiness of heart and life. We spend our whole lives in cooperation with the Spirit, walking further into being made holy. Sanctification is a word we use for that. On to perfection. He's fun. This is a Short version of the story of faith. Sounds good, right? And if you write it on your ordination paperwork, you're going to get an A. But what's it mean? We all come to understand it a little differently. A lot of common ground, but a lot of difference. We learn as we go. That's the biggest thing I've learned. You learn as you go. Like those first disciples in John, when the life of following with enough just to get you going is good, there is so much more to learn in Jesus Imagine if Jesus just gave them a glimpse in the moment of all they were going to see and know. It would blow their minds. They probably couldn't handle it. But with the little bit that we have, right away we find a satisfaction and peace, don't we? We don't comprehend it all, although we try to convince ourselves we do, but we have enough to bring us peace. Our Wesleyan tradition is all about the growth and becoming It's not a one-day saved-and-done venture. That's not the Wesleyan way. We walk by discipleship with the mission of, our mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We must not focus on our individual salvation and ignore the mission. And we must not focus on the mission and ignore our individual growth and becoming. So we talk about the good news. That's what we want to do to make disciples, share the good news. The Evangelion, the reign of God that's at hand, here and now, true life, fullness of life, the gospel writer calls it. Now, I say the word evangelism, and I'm guessing many of you go, kind of a cringy word, evangelism, an evangelist, right? 
Half the people in our country say evangelical. Ooh, I don't know about that. The author of our study offers a variation of this practice, invitational evangelism, invitational. It's a simple idea which is modeled in the passage. One, witnessing begins with relationship, and two, you simply share what you've seen and heard. Nothing about cars barreling down the road. Our story coming to faith did not happen out of the blue. It happened because someone in relationship with you showed you. Maybe your parent or grandparent. Maybe you got dragged to church kicking and screaming as a child. There were some Sundays, that was me. Maybe a friend introduced you. Maybe a significant other, a partner, a spouse. I'd guess a large portion of the earth and almost everyone in the Western world, and I would have to say 100% of Sellersburg, has heard of Christianity and Jesus. Amen? So why aren't they here? Why do we not see everybody? Because we're not in relationship with them. Witnessing comes through relationship. The disciples all came to Jesus through a relationship. Andrew and John were in relationship with the Baptist who pointed and told them, there's the one. And so they trusted and they went. Yes, there were Philip and Nathanael, but many of us don't quite have that story. They trusted the Baptist because they were in a relationship and they told others. And those others told others who told others who told others who told you. We've got to be in relationship with our community. And I think we're struggling with that. If we don't have relationship, who's going to bring them the good news? Not in a metaphor that's confusing and, frankly, not very inviting. Now, maybe they know about the church and Jesus, but do they know your good news? Do your friends, do the people you're already in relationship Know your good news. Or how many of you have friends that don't go to church? Maybe we struggle there too. And maybe you need to venture out from your circle and engage new people. I know that evangelizing can seem cringy when we talk about it. Uncomfortable. Because we've seen a lot of people do it in ways that are cringy and uncomfortable. But somehow we've allowed this beautiful faith of ours, this beautiful mission in Jesus Christ, to be lumped together with religion and politics. You don't talk about it. How did we let that happen? They are not the same. Amen? Your story of faith and all the divisiveness and things, they, they don't go hand in hand. Why have we allowed them to? If you're in relationship with people, good relationship, actual relationship, then there's never an inappropriate time to tell your story, ever. Now, We don't tell our story to achieve our outcome. That's not a good relationship. We don't tell the story to bring threat or guilt. It's not bad news, right? It's good news. If you feel compelled to share the bad news, then ask yourself, who's driving the car? Relationship is about listening to their story too, even when you don't know you agree with it or understand it. And we don't enter into that kind of relationship to judge it. Remember, we are witnesses, right? We don't cross-examine. We don't accuse. That's for the attorneys. There's nothing wrong with attorneys, but that's not our job. We don't, we don't bring the verdict, do we? We're not the jury. We don't condemn or render judgment. We're not the judge. We are the witnesses. We tell what we've seen and heard. So tell your story. 
and how it's impacted you. Leave all the fancy church talk for another time. They probably don't care about that. They do care about you. And then extend the invitation. Come and see. You know, the average person invites someone to church once every 30 years. Once every 30 years. And if you're thinking, no way, well, when's the last time you invited somebody? And we wonder why the church isn't growing. Okay, do you want to be effective in your witness, telling your story? This is important. We've got to be the thing we proclaim to be. If we don't have peace, we can never convince others we've found it. If you get wrapped up in all the junk of the world and then tell people you have a better way, they're going to see right through that. If you get wrapped up in the political nonsense that you can find in any number of channels that would be happy for, to tell you how the world is, and you let that steer your relationships, your conversations, your messages, your posts, your actions, then you're no different than anybody else. They're not going to hear you. If you do not embody the love you proclaim, as Paul says, we're just a clanging symbol. We're just noise, and we blend in quite well. And maybe, if we're honest, maybe that's happened more than we'd like to admit. We engage in two-way relationship. We embody the peace and love that's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ, and we share our story. Now, we've take a breath, because we're done with our seven weeks. Take a breath. And you may be thinking, seven? We've been doing this for six. Well, we started with Bishop Julius Trimble. And he challenged us to be the church as we celebrated in this space for being Methodists in this community for 150 years, which you're the product of. He challenged us to be the church. We've been walking through all that it means to be disciples. And we want to be a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving God and loving others. Jesus Christ has been leading people into the life of discipleship for 2,000 years through disciples. Someone began that journey, embodied it, and brought it to you, and now it's our turn. Amen? Not scary. Just tell your story. Your story doesn't sound like someone else's, but you know that someone else's is big and grand and perfect as you think it may be. It may not reach somebody. Because maybe they aren't big and grand and perfect, and they might relate more to what you have experienced. Jesus Christ invites us onto the disciples' path, and the Holy Spirit equips us to witness to our world of all we've seen and heard. Nothing more and nothing less. So walk the disciples' path, friends. If you're ready to take the next step, become a member of the church, talk about baptism, Come see me or January 9th during Sunday school hour. I'm going to start a doorway class for anybody that's interested. And if not, then just continue to come and see or root those on who are. Participate in this body of Christ. Grow in your love of God and others and experience the joy of God's love. And then embody it and tell people about it. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.